Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Ministries podcast. My name is Chris Birch and I'm the middle school pastor here at Brookwood. This message was recorded at one of our breakout sessions during our phase event. The purpose of this event is to recognize that every life stage of your child's development is critical in their spiritual upbringing. During this podcast, Kevin Nunnery will explore the venture of raising teenagers through high school. Also, on our podcast channel, you can find messages for other age groups, as well as some specific issues you may face while raising your children to live Christ-like lives. Um, while that is happening, I'll introduce myself to you. As you can see, um, I'm Kevin Nunnery. I'm the new high school pastor here at Brookwood Church. Um, I've been here about three weeks. Um, really love it so far. Things are going great. Um, and, and I'm really, really excited um, to be here for the phase conference. I want to take just a few minutes here at the beginning to find out a little bit of who we have here in the room with us. Um, so just show of hands, if you are a parent, would you raise your hand? Okay, a lot of parents. Um, if you are the parent of a high school student, would you raise your hand? Okay. If you are a parent of more than one student, they don't have to be high schoolers, but a parent of multiples, raise your hand. You have more than one. Okay, hands down. Uh, small group leaders, do I have any small group leaders here of any age student? Okay, several of those. Do I have any teachers here? Just, just out of curiosity, you teach? Okay, very cool, very cool. Um, exciting to get to know some of you guys um, I will be honest with you, it feels weird to be up here on a stage with spotlights. It feels a little, a little impersonal, but um, we'll, we'll do the best that we can. Um, I have a few more icebreaker type things. So um, I know we gave you a barrage of papers when you first came in, and I'm really sorry about that. Um, but you should have one that looks like this. Um, it's white, um, and that's going to be our handout that, that we're going to use. Um, as we get started here, oh. Well, something has happened, and now my slides are not coming up. I don't know what Gadgets and Gizmos is. I think that's Adventure Week. So, uh, nope, not fourth or fifth grade. I don't know a whole lot about them. (laughs) There it is. I'm Kevin Nunnery, the high school pastor. Wait, I'm going to click. Yes. All right, now we're back to my presentation, so this is is good. I didn't study for the fourth or fifth graders. I don't know anything about them. Um, I have a tough question for you. How well would your kids grade you on how well you know them? Now, having just done what we did, I know not all of you are parents, nor are all of you parents of high school students. So if you are a parent, we've got a pop quiz for you about your student. If you work with students, or your small group leader, or your teacher, in any capacity, I want you to pick one of the students that you have um, a relationship with, and this pop quiz is for you about them. Um, Even if you're the parent of a younger child, do the best you can with some of these, although some of them won't be incredibly applicable. Um, But our pop quiz is, is five questions. What's their favorite food, their greatest fear, their best friend, their dream school, and their celebrity crush? I realize if you're the parent of a small child, that may not, you know, be as applicable. But um, so take just a minute with this pop quiz Try to fill it out. If you have more than one child at home, just fill it out for your favorite child. Um, Or there's actually plenty of space you could do it for multiple children. But just just take a minute uh, and think, how well do you know these children that you work with or these children that are yours? Um, 
again, as we're just getting to know each other, I don't want to just sit here with a bunch of empty time where there's no talking. So I will answer these, and you can get to know me a little bit better. My favorite food is bacon. Um, There's no bad time for bacon at any meal. My greatest fear, um, I thought about being like dishonest and saying heights, but my greatest fear would probably be rejection because nobody likes it. Uh, My best friend is a guy that I met in college named Josh Baldwin. He lives right up the road in Spartanburg. Um, I don't know what my dream school would be. I went to North Greenville University, which is just right up the road in Tigerville, South Carolina, the booming metropolis. Um, There's literally nothing there but the school, a post office, I guess a bagel shop now, I hear, and a Thai restaurant. But anyway, North Greenville. Um, then my celebrity crush would, without a doubt, and I can say this because my wife knows it, is Rachel McAdams. That's my celebrity crush. So um, I hope you've had enough time to, to kind of work through this for your student. Take this home. I'm not going to grade you on it today um, because I don't know the student that you work with or the student that you have at home. But go home and, and, and take this to them and ask them um, and, and see how you did. Let them grade you. Um, hopefully that'll be a fun little connection point, little conversation for you uh, later. The reason we do this um, is there's a relational principle that goes along with that pop quiz, and it's this. Um, We cannot effectively influence people that we don't know. We can't effectively influence people that we don't know, and that does include your students. Um, Relationships are the best way to have influence, um, and if you don't know somebody, it's really, really hard to have that influence in their life. Um, for some of you um, who are parents or for some of you who have worked with students for any number of years, um, you maybe felt like you knew them at one point, and then they changed, and maybe you don't know them as well now. Um, there can be kind of a dramatic shift. Um, I've got a picture here of a cute young boy. He's smiling. He looks happy. He's got kind of a whimsical look on his face. Um, some of you may know him as Jake Lloyd. Um, he, he's a, he was a child actor. Um, you may know him from this role as young Anakin in 1999's critical flop, The Phantom Menace. Um, and for some of you, you see this cute look on his face, and you think back to your child when maybe they were younger, or the child that you work with. Um, but you don't see that anymore when you look at them. Now when you look at them, um, it's something a little more like this. Um, a drastic shift has taken place. This is, of course, uh, one of cinema's greatest villains of all time, Darth Vader. Um, at least he was one of the most intimidating until the prequels kind of undid that. Um, but it's, it's a funny illustration to say um, kids change. They grow up. Um, and there are different phases, um, hence why we are here today. Um, and, and we're going to look at our ninth through 12th grade phases. Um, there's a drastic shift that takes place just between middle school and high school. Um, now, I'm from a very small town where we had one elementary school, one middle school, and one high school. So I went to school with the same kids my whole life. Um, in third grade, I fell in love. Um, the girl's name was Casey and Abinett. She was the third grade love of my life. I just knew I was going to spend forever with Casey and Abinett if I could just get her, you know, to look at me. That would have helped. Um, but I was in love with this girl in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. We got to middle school. She got to be kind of cool, kind of edgy, kind of hip. I remember her getting in trouble sometimes. I thought, man, that girl, she's so cool. She was smart. She was pretty. I was in love with Casey and Abinett. 
we graduated from middle school, which I guess is a thing now. Um, and I remember thinking, I can't wait to see everybody when we get to high school this fall. I walk into my first class, which was math. I sat down beside my best friend, a guy named Trey Utes. I'm sitting behind some girls that, that I didn't know. Um, they start calling the role in class, and lo and behold, the girl I didn't know who was sitting in front of me was the third grade love of my life, Casey and Abinett, and I did not even recognize her. She had undergone massive change. She had gone for a completely different look, black from head to toe, including her hair. I, I didn't recognize the girl. She had changed that much in like two months. Um, and the point is this, your students are going to change a ton as they move into high school. It, it's a big leap. And so today we're going to take some time. Um, we're going to examine each phase. I hope that you guys have these little blue booklets. Um, you should have four of them. Again, I know we gave you a barrage of resources coming to the door. You could have also picked these up downstairs. Um, we're going to try to interact with each of these pamphlets just a little bit. Um, but with the time that I have, I cannot possibly go super in-depth on each grade. There's just too much. Um, each one of these could be its own breakout. Um, so we'll touch on each of these a little bit and talk about some of the highlights um, from each phase. Um, after that, we'll move into and talk about some prominent potential pitfalls. I love alliteration, so we'll, we'll do that. Um, then I've got some what we'll call pro tips. Um, if you ever see those videos on Facebook, they're like life hacks or pro tips for doing this, that, or the other. So I've got a few of those um, for students at, at this age and these phases. Um, then we'll talk about our bottom line, hit some core truths. Um, and then at some point, they're going to hold up a sign and tell me that I have to move to Q&A. So um, I'm looking forward to it. Before we get any further, I want to pray for us. Um, so if you would, uh, join me in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you uh, for Brookwood Church. I thank you for the phase conference. I just pray that um, you would help us to just be focused on what you would say to us. Um, God, that you would um, teach us, that your spirit would empower us, um, that we would learn how to be a people of relational influence, that you would help us um, to love like you love. I pray that um, today we would just grow in wisdom and knowledge of how we can uh, demonstrate your kindness and your grace um, to the young people in our lives. I pray for this group. I pray for the families that they represent and the students that they work with. Um, I pray that this would just be a time um, that is dedicated to you. Uh, we love you. We praise things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. So the first handout that you have should say ninth grade. Um, on your white handout that you each have, um, I've got one core thing. There's an essential question that students at each of these phases ask. Um, and so you'll see those on the screen and you can fill those in um, if you're a fill in the blank kind of person. The freshman phase right here on the cover, it'll tell you it's the phase when friendships shift, grades count, and interests change so often your teenager has to explain to you, this is me now. Um, like I said, there's a drastic jump from eighth grade to ninth grade. A lot of changes are taking place. Maybe old, familiar, best friends kind of fall by the wayside. and You don't see them as much anymore. They're finding new friends. They're finding um, new places to try to fit in. And that's because the question that freshmen want to know is, where do I belong? Where do I belong? The freshman year is filled um, with, with exploring, where can I fit in? Are there people like me with similar interests? Do I have a place? Um, 
and it's an awkward time. Um, so towards the back of each of these pamphlets, it gives you um, a, a page on the changes that take place physically, relationally, mentally, and emotionally. I encourage you to check that out. Um, again, we cannot possibly hit all of these, but I will just tell you, if, if you look at that page, it tells you that for, for freshmen, they are overly self-aware and they may think everybody's watching me. And if you go directly across under emotionally, it tells you they may still feel insecure about their changing body. You guys ever see a baby giraffe learning how to walk? You know what I'm talking about? They're very wobbly on their legs. They can't quite figure it out. That's the freshman phase in a nutshell. They are trying to find their legs. They're trying to figure out where do I fit in? Where do I belong? And they're very awkward and yet they're self-aware of their awkwardness. Um, It can be a very, very insecure time as they try to figure out where do I go? Where's my place? What our response to that is, as adults who work with teenagers or parent those teenagers, we want to try to connect them with other teenagers of similar interests. We want to try to help them value community. We are not created to do life alone. Um, we're, we're big proponents of that here at Brookwoods, why we have small groups. Um, and that's true for even our freshmen. Um, we want to help connect them and, and help them to realize you do have a place. You are not alone. We want to value community. Um, one note that you will see uh, about freshmen, and this one is actually repeated through all four pamphlets. Um, it says under physically that they have a difficult time falling asleep before 11 p.m. and that they need nine hours of sleep and one hour of exercise per day. I just wanted to reassure you that y- you are not raising some kind of vampire zombie hybrid. They need that sleep. I remember my mother thinking that there was something medically wrong with me because I would stay up until two o'clock in the morning and then I still needed that nine hours of sleep, and so I would sleep past lunch. And I remember her thinking, we got to take you to a doctor. There's something wrong. There's not. Their, their bodies are changing. They need the sleep. Um, so just understand it's biological. It's how they're wired. Do not panic. Um, that's, it's just how it is. Um, so from the freshman phase, uh, we move to our sophomore group. And again, right there on the cover, you can see it's the phase when everyone else can. No one else has to. And your resolute teen will push you to answer, why not? There's a big difference between why not and why. There's kind of a childlike innocence to that question of why. If you remember when they were cute and sweet and young, you'd say, well, it's raining outside. Why? We got to go to the store. Why? They just wanted to always know why. And it was so cute. And now they get this sophomore face and they don't have that cute innocence so much anymore. Why not? Why can't I? Why can't I do this? Everybody else is. Why do I have to do this? No one else does. Why not? It's a definite shift in mentality. It's a year of independence. Um, The big thing in that is driving. You don't have to drive them everywhere anymore. And, and, And sometimes that elicits the response of, hallelujah, I don't have to haul them all over town. What it should make you do uh, on second glance is realize, oh no, I've lost some valuable time of being with the student. I've lost some some conversation time where they are forced to be with me and they cannot escape because we're going 70 miles an hour down the interstate and we will talk about this right now. Um, That is now probably gone because they either have their license or they know somebody who does and so the independence is on. And the key question that a sophomore is gonna ask why should I believe? It goes back to that questioning. This is a year of, of them beginning to explore boundaries. 
and they want rationale, they want some reasoning, you have at this point moved beyond because I said so. That's not going to probably cut it anymore. Why should I believe? Give me something substantial. Give me some reasoning. They're starting to think on a more critical level. And so we've got to be able to engage them there. And when we do that, we, we ask questions and we have dialogue. And what that does is it helps clarify values. This is an important step for sophomores to help clarify their values, to set up their foundation for how they're going to interact with their peers, with their boyfriends, with their girlfriends, teachers. Um, when they ask, why should I believe we have to engage and have to have some dialogue? Um, before we move on from the sophomore phase, I, I will tell you, um, and it notes this in the booklet, this is the highest percentage year of teen suicide, the sophomore year. Um, this is um, in part because if you remember the freshman phase, they're looking for that place to belong. And the painful reality is freshman phase in sophomore year begins and some people still haven't found that place. And the sophomore year where they start to begin to question things at a deeper level, some of them haven't found a place and they're starting to question why. And I think there's a direct tie in there of why the sophomore year is the highest year of teen suicide. This is an excellent opportunity for us as adults who work with students or parent those students to really move in and love on them, maybe just a little bit extra that year. Sophomore year can be very, very difficult. The junior year, junior year, right from the cover again, it says this is the phase where there's less drama but more stress. And your very busy teenager answers all of your questions with, just trust me. Anybody heard that one, just trust me? That's probably not exclusive just to juniors. Some of you probably remember when they were little, mom, just trust me, I got this. This is the year where your junior starts to become a little bit more who they're going to be. The hormones have started to subside, right? The physical changes maybe are, are, are starting to slow down. For, for young ladies, they're probably over at this point. Um, and you're starting to see, hey, I think I see the adult you kind of peeking out a little bit because they're juniors. And, and their, their changes, like I said, are, are in large part physically behind them. The hormones are regulated, and they start to feel that adulthood emerging. So they say, yeah, just trust me. I'm an adult. I got this. I'm 16. I'm 17. I can handle this. This is the year of accomplishment. In a lot of ways, I believe this, and I kind of just spot check this with some people uh, in preparation for this. I think the junior year is a year of higher stress than even the senior year. Um, the junior year, you're starting to have to think about what colleges am I going to want to apply to? What career path do I maybe want to pursue? Um, I worked in the school district for a number of years. Um, this is a question they're getting asked even starting in middle school. Hey, what, what career path do you want to pursue? There's career advisement taking place. And the junior year, they start to feel that crunch of, I got to pick something. I have to know what I'm going to do. They start to take the SAT or the ACT. They start taking AP classes. The junior year is kind of alphabet soup. I mean, there's just all kinds of, of things going on and it's high pressure. You've got prom, you've got all of these things that are taking place. Very high pressure. Um, what I will tell you, it notes this on the changes page of this pamphlet, is they will often in the junior year take on more than they can handle. Um, our teenagers are the busiest they have ever been. 
And this junior year, they feel that pressure to step up and meet all these challenges and do all of these things. And one of the things that we can help them a lot is learn to say no or to say their best yes, to find the the best place to say yes, the best place to be plugged in. Because what they're wanting to know, and again, this goes back to our key question, they want to know, how can I matter? How can I make a difference? How can I matter? And so what can happen is they can take on 173 things trying to find where they matter. And what we as adults can do is help them learn to say no to some things, to focus on, hey, what's your best yes? Where can we really get plugged in? How can I really make a difference? Our job is to encourage experiences while also simplifying options. Um, And when we do that, um, we can help create vision. We can help them cast vision. Um, but as you have probably seen or heard um, between school and student council and soccer and SAT prep and trying to have a boyfriend and trying to go to work and trying to come home and do their homework, they're too busy. They're too busy, and we have to help them by streamlining, help them learn to say no. It's a big, big deal. The senior year, senior year. Right there on the front, it says, it's the phase when your emerging adult pulls away, gets closer, does things for the last time, and you both start asking, what's next? That is the question that will define the senior year, what's next? What's next? You're going to ask, what's next? Are they ready? Can they handle it? And rest assured, inside, they're wondering, what's next? Am I ready? Can I handle it? Um, It's a big deal because your countdown clock is running out of time. I know JC spent some time in the first session discussing with you time. Um, It's running out. By the time you hit this senior phase, it's almost gone. And their question that they really want to know is, what will I do? What will I do? Where do I go from here? And it's a big deal. It's a big deal. What college you go to, what career you pursue, we already touched on that, but that's going to define and shape the next several years of their lives. And again, we, we want to help create vision. We want to have dialogue with them. We want to engage and help them to understand that they don't have to have it all figured out right now. They don't have to have all the answers. One of the best ways we can do that is not trying to have all the answers. Some of the best things you can tell your students, I don't know. I don't know. Let's pray about it together. Let's work through it together. Um, It's a big deal as they transition out into the quote-unquote real world, as they leave your house for the first time, as they uh, head off to college, as they head... Um, into what is next. Um, I encourage you to peruse these pamphlets on your own time. There is so much there. Um, There's more than I could really possibly hope to get through. Um, We will refer back to some of this um, as we move into some other things, Um, but do take those with you. They're an awesome, awesome resource. Um, So uh, the next thing, and I want to show this sign first because there is some shock hazard Uh, I do want you to be forewarned um, about some of the things we're going to discuss next. Um, So don't say that I didn't warn you. Try not to let uh, your jaw hit the ground because um, we're going to move into our prominent potential 
pitfalls. And the first one, and you could probably guess it, is the S word, sex. Some of y'all might have got just a little uncomfortable that I just said the word sex. That's okay, I've said it twice now. Um, <clears throat> it's good, it's good. So sex is everywhere. We live in a completely sexually saturated society. Um, you cannot go to the movies without seeing sex. Turn on the TV, even the commercials. I mean, in ways that don't make sense. I don't understand what Hardy's is trying to do. Their commercials are so gross in so many different ways. But there's sex even on the commercials. There's sex on the radio. It's everywhere. You cannot escape it. The world is screaming about sex left and right. And what we often do as people who have relationships with teenagers is we shrink back and we whisper about it because it can be kind of uncomfortable. We don't want to talk about it. And here's the thing. If the entire world is going to try to help define the sexual values of our teenagers, it's our job, it's our responsibility as Christians, it's your job for those of you who are parents, um, to step in and have that conversation with them. We cannot bury our head in the sand One piece of advice on this that I would have for you is don't outsource the talk. Don't outsource the talk. Any of you remember your talk? Anybody remember that and how that went down? I do. My talk came from my wide receivers coach on the football team during my ninth grade health class. It was super informative and helpful. No, it was not. Uh, And my parents... uh, not to, to bash them, they left that to Coach Neal. And I liked Coach Neal. He was really good at telling me what to do on the football field. He was not great in this particular department. And if we're going to outsource the talk to gym teachers and football coaches and health teachers, we're leaving a lot to be desired. There are things that only can come from people who have those deep relationships with them. One of the things I didn't point out in the booklets is it notes the percentage of students who are having sex at each phase. Um, I will tell you, by the time these students are halfway done with high school, half of them are owning up to the fact that they've had sex. By the time they graduate, that number jumps to two-thirds. So when we shrink back and go, I just don't want to talk about it. Maybe if we just ignore it, they won't do it. False. Um, That is not true. That does not bear out in in the research. It's just not how it is. Teens want to experience adulthood now, and they don't maybe fully understand the consequences. And there are difficult things that we need to sit and talk with these teenagers about. That when they have sex, that's a sin. That's not God's plan. I feel like we've shrunk away from the word sin sometimes in our culture. We don't like to call it that. We like to say issues or baggage. And we need to call a spade a spade and say, hey, sex outside the confines of marriage is sin. And when we have sin in our life, it breaks our relationship with God. And that is the first and most prominent issue that we need to talk about with our teenagers. Beyond that, prepare for more awkward things. We have to be willing to talk about STDs because they're out there and the numbers would shock and scare you. Um, It's gross, but we have to be able to to inform. We have to be able to talk with these teenagers about unwanted pregnancy, unplanned for pregnancy. Um, I don't know how many of you know kids, raising kids, but I do. I have two cousins who had had babies as teenagers and it's been hard on them. It has drastically affected the course of their life. 
we have to be willing to have these awkward conversations. And what I will tell you too is it's not just vaginal intercourse. See, it just got a next level of weird and gross because I just said vaginal intercourse twice. Um, What I will tell you is for teenagers, oral sex is king because there's less commitment. There's less risk, they think. um, And they're not going to get damaged by that at all, of course, right? No. Um, These are the things that, again, that's not getting covered in a ninth grade health class, more than likely. We need to be able to say, hey, Oral sex is sex, too. Um, I had this conversation my, my sophomore year of college. Several of my friends, we were in a house, and we had some freshmen coming in to live with us, and we were so excited to try to mentor and lead these young guys. And I remember sitting down with the guy, and, and we were talking, and he was like, yeah, I'm a virgin. I was like, dude, that's great. That's so awesome. Like, let's commit to keeping that going. But then come to find out, no, him and his girlfriend, they were having oral sex all the time. And he was like, but, dude, that doesn't count. Dude, it has sex in the title. That's sex. Like, it counts. Your heart is being affected. Your life is being affected. And we've got to be able to say that to our teenagers. Um, I could probably spend another 30 minutes just talking about sex. Uh, Luckily, there was a whole sex breakout. Uh, I think it took place already this morning, or it's taking place. Actually, you know what? It's right now. But never fear. If you want to find that resource, um, they are videoing that. It will be um, available for you, I believe, on our website, probably in the very, very near future. Um, So definitely, I encourage you to go check that out. We could talk about this um, for a long, long time, but we don't have the time. Prominent potential pitfall number two is technology. And before I even get rolling on this one, I'll just tell you, um, they already had this breakout session completely about technology. Uh, I think Rob Dempsey led it in this very room, or no, not in this room, the next one over. Uh, yeah, Pod C. Um, they videoed that. So if you didn't make it to that, check that out on the website um, later. Technology is a potential pitfall for our teenagers, just like it is for some of us. Netflix binge, anybody? Yeah? Technology can be a complete and total time suck. You can waste hours, days on technology. I'll tell you what one of the biggest things that's a pitfall are these little boxes. Because what happens is our teenagers learn to communicate like this and not like this. A lot of teenagers have lost the ability to look another human being in the eye and communicate about anything, much less what's in their heart, about their struggles, about things that are going on. We as adults have got to help them with this. And one of the best ways we can help them is to model the good behavior ourselves. Hey, I am just as bad about it as anybody. I live on Twitter. It drives my wife nuts because I'll open it, refresh it, and just see if anything's going on and then close it. And we have got to learn to have some screen-free time. Have some screen-free time. Um, We've got to model that for our teenagers. We've got to encourage that in our students one of the things that my friends and I do when we go out and we're having a meal together, um, we do what's called a phone stack. Anybody ever heard of this? Everybody stacks their phone in the middle of the table. If anybody grabs their phone before the meal's over, they have to buy dessert or they have to do something. The way you can implement this at home is everybody can stack those phones. Probably better not to even bring them to the table, but it's 2017. I'm a realist. We stack them on the table. First person to grab it before the meal's over, they got to do the dishes. They got to clean up. Find some kind of way to encourage that screen-free time. 
Uh, it's not just mealtime, but hey, that, that's a good place to sit and connect and talk. There's something very special. I think there's something probably pretty spiritual even about sharing a meal together, being able to look around and communicate with people. Um, another area that technology can be a, a, a really big issue um, is social media. It's a conversation we need to have with our teenagers, with the students that we work with. Colleges look at social media. Um, potential future employers, it's so easy just to go pull something up and look at somebody. And we've got to help students understand that just because you have your stuff set to private doesn't mean that everybody out there can go and look at it. Or just because you delete something, it doesn't mean it's gone forever. We've got to have talks with them about what's appropriate and what's inappropriate to go on their social media for those reasons. But probably a little more importantly, we need to have conversations and say, hey, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what is glorifying and edifying to go on your newsfeed? Is this something that's beneficial, that builds up people and advances the kingdom? Or no? I'll be honest with you, this past year was kind of rough. I had to I had to stay off of social media a good bit because even we as adults struggle with that. But when we can't do it, then we struggle with our teenagers with that too. I feel like the lights just went down a little bit. Set the mood. Um, which is funny, a lot of what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you technology pitfalls specifically for each gender. I'll start with the guys. It's pornography. And again, I know that's an uncomfortable word to say, but when we shrink back from it as people who are Christians who work with young people or are raising young people, we have a problem. The average age of first exposure for a, a young boy to pornography is 11. So honestly, if you're waiting until you hit these phases, we're a little behind. But we need to understand that there are thousands of teenage boys who are addicted to pornography, and it's a conversation that we need to have with them. It's a huge, huge pitfall. For young ladies, um, I'm not saying that they can't be addicted to pornography. Um, some are. But the bigger potential pitfall is finding their identity in their followers, in their likes, in their retweets. Um, it's a huge, huge deal. I've had so many teenage girls over the years that I've watched post something and then take it down an hour later. Why? Because it did not get enough likes. They were not satisfied because they find their identity in their online presence huge pitfalls. And again, I'm sure guys can struggle with that too, but that's something that we need to be aware of. It's a conversation that we need to be having. We want our teenagers to ultimately understand that technology is a tool and not a soul-consuming vortex. Uh, we want to help them with that. Um, again, check out Rob's session. Uh, I'm sure he had a lot of great things on that. All right, so we're going to move into, um, uh, well, there's the first one. Uh, we're going to move into our pro tip section. This is right on the back of your handout. Um, so you can flip over there and you can see the first one right there is keep the end in mind. Parentheses, because it's definitely in sight. Keep the end in mind. When you set out to accomplish any task in your life, you think about the end, you think about the goal, you think about where am I going with this? We have to have the same mentality as we work with students, as we raise young men and women. You have to keep the end in mind because your goal, right, parents, is to have a well-adjusted, functional, contributing member of society once they leave your house, right? What we tend to do as people who love this sweet 12-year-old, love this sweet 15-year-old is, we want to cling to the past 
Sometimes we cling to the present and we neglect to think about the future. We have got to keep the end in mind. We've got to know what our end goal is as we're working with these students. Bless you. Uh, And that ties pretty closely into my number two one here, which is you are raising an adult, not a child. You're raising an adult, not a child. I know that may just seem like cutesy semantics, and it's not. Um, You may have a child right now. You may be working with a child right now, um, but you're raising up an adult. They are going to eventually leave mommy and daddy's house, and they're going to have to go out into the world. And my question is, are we equipping them? Stop and think about this. What's one thing that you learned the hard way that you just wish someone would have helped you to understand better before you found out the way that you did when you were 22 or 25 or even 30? Whatever that may be for you, help them now. Equip them now. There are a ton of parents, there are a ton of us who are so caught up and consumed in academic pursuits And we're so proud that they can recite the Pythagorean theorem or Newton's three laws, or they can properly diagram a sentence. Hey, do they know how to change their oil? Do they know how to cook a meal? For those of you with kids, I know hopefully you're looking for some grandkids one day. Listen, they can't take their date to Taco Bell, but so many times. Do they know how to cook a meal? I mean, that's just a practical life skill. The number one area of practical life skills that when I talk to people is is financial. Do they know how to make a budget? Do they understand the dangers and difficulties of credit? Do they know how to balance their checkbook? Do they even have a checkbook? These are practical things that as adults we realize are important. And it's a conversation that we should probably go ahead and have with them now. Help them understand what it means to, to, to deal with some of these adult things. Uh, for time's sake, I got to keep moving on. That, that's my personal soapbox and passion. We could talk about that forever. Um, number three is allow freedom to fail. Allow freedom to fail. I'll tell you a story. I went to high school with a guy named Ryan. Um, Ryan was a super smart guy, um, but every time we had a project, I'm talking about from grade school, middle school, high school, he would leave it until the last minute. You know what would happen? Mama would swoop in and do it for him, and I will give her credit for, for a 40-something-year-old lady, she did a great job on all these high school projects. I mean, she was great because she refused to allow her sweet little baby to fail. I'll fast forward the story and tell you that Ryan wound up taking what I'll politely call the scenic route through college, um, super senior route, because when he got to college, mama wasn't there to hold his hand and do everything for him anymore. And it was the first time that he didn't have that safety net. For those of us who have the opportunity to work with teenagers, give them some freedom to fail now. While there is still a little bit of a safety net, but let there be consequences. Don't let the first major thing that they tackle be when they're 22, be when they're 25. Allow them some freedom to fail now. Freedom is a huge buzzword for these four phases anyway. They want to be free. Allow them that. Give them some freedom to fail. Don't always prevent them from failing because you learn a ton more in failure than you ever do in success. Last thing here under the pro tip section is be intentional with your time. I think JC talked about a lot of this in the first session, so I'll spend um, just very little time here. I will tell you that when they are babies, they're completely dependent on adults, right? Bath time, feeding time, travel time. You've got all this exposure to them. By the time students are high schoolers, 
there's not much they depend on us as adults for. They're pretty independent. You have to be very, very intentional with your time because you have so little of it. Set up appointments and be consistent about it. If you're going to have a family game night every Saturday night, protect Saturday night like your life depends on it. Be intentional with that time. Have those screen-free meal times. Make plans together as a family. Be very intentional with your time because it is fleeting. Hey, if I could just say one side note thing on this, probably the best investment of your time you can have as a family is be in church. Just saying, I'm obviously biased. I work here, but um, I have dealt with a number of parents over the years who they're more consumed with travel ball and, and various extracurriculars, and church kind of falls by the wayside. I think it's a great thing to do as a family, to be in church, to worship together, um, to experience what God is doing in the community, in the body of Christ. Um, a couple of other things, because I know where time is, is, is of the essence. Uh, I'll ask you this question. If your student left your home with only five core truths, what would they be? Even if you're not a parent right now, think about this question. If, if the child that you one day raise could only leave your house with five foundational core truths to shape their life, what would they be? Just think about that. If they could only leave with three, one. If there was one thing that you would say, this is the most important thing for you to know, what would it be? It's a question you need to ask because we want to be intentional with our time. And so we want to make sure we communicate what is most important. Um, what I will tell you is, um, I believe that it's love. And this is not just some sappy, feely Beatles song that I'm trying to give to you right now. If you look at this graphic here on the back, um, I think love is the most important thing you can communicate to a student. And it's got three branches here of loving God, of loving others, and loving self. And this is not me being creative or clever. Jesus himself was asked, what's the most important commandment? He had 630 some odd options. And Jesus says, well, love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, the whole Old Testament hinges on that. I think that's a good place to start. And I encourage you to check out this graph and you can see how these three basic truths of loving God, loving self and loving others, how they develop and how they advance through the years for elementary age students, middle school students, high school students. Um, check that out and really spend some time with that. And think about it. Um, cool, there's that graphic. Um, hey, just as we get ready to close, I want to tell you, parents in the room, this is specifically for parents or for any of you who will one day be parents, you are the greatest influence in the life of your student. I know it's easy to think it's their best friend or their clique. You might think it's Hollywood. You might think it's their social network followers. You might think it's a pastor. No, the greatest influencer in the life of a student is mom and dad, for better or worse. You spend the most time with them and you have the biggest influence on them. It is a sacred trust. It is a blessing from God. It's a big responsibility. Take full advantage of that. I'll share with you a verse as we get ready to go. This is probably one of the most abused and taken out of context verses in all of scripture. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is what we would call a general truism. Hear me when I say this, general truism. This is not a lock, stock, and barrel concrete promise. But our hope is this. If we can establish a firm enough faith foundation for them when they're children, and preteens, and teenagers, we're hoping that Jesus 
will transform their lives, that this will be something that even if they wander away for a while, and guess what, it may happen, that when the bottom falls out, when that thing happens that you dread for them to go through, we're hoping that this faith foundation will be there for them to fall back on. Um, the most important thing that we can communicate to our students, as I said, is, is having that loving relationship with God and understanding that. Um, I want to take just a minute um, to pray for you guys. Um, I want to pray for the students that, that your lives touch, whether they're your biological students or if you just work with them on a daily basis or a weekly basis. I want to pray for them, um, and then we're going to uh, move into our Q&A. So if you would, just again, join me in prayer. God, we come before you, and quite simply, we just lift to you the students who are represented in this room. We have parents, we have teachers, small group leaders. For every young person whose life is affected or touched by the people in this room, God, I just lift them up to you. I pray that you would help us to love them well. I pray that you would help us to just meet them where they are, to accept them unconditionally, and to love them through their difficult times. Thank you for this group. I pray that you empower and strengthen them. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you have any questions about this message, you can reach us at our email, students at brookwoodchurch.org. If you have children of other ages, be sure to listen to our other podcasts labeled with the corresponding age group. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.